The following talk was given at the Sati Center for Buddhist Studies in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at sati.org. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, whenever I hear how far flung we are uh, when we get together, it makes me very happy we have this online ability to meet. And I'm really glad you could all join in. So this, of course, is the title of our course that we're beginning tonight. And the verse from the Dhammapada, to not do any evil, to cultivate good, to purify the mind, this is the teaching of the Buddhas. And that's a translation by Narada Tara, Venerable Narada. And I thought I would just walk you through the oops, walk you through the poly a bit. Uh, just just to kind of have a sense of what these words mean. It kind of get I know I'm I'm not a poly scholar, but I really feel I benefit from sometimes knowing what the words mean so that I can have a a richer sense of what the Buddha is saying. So that first line, Saba means all. Papasa is evil, bad, uh, something like that. And Akarana is um, to not do. It's as it says, Kara is to do. And we put an A on the front, and it's not to not do. Kusalasa is good. A lot of times we see Kusala and Akusala good things and bad things. And this is um, interesting because the Buddha doesn't use that here. He uses papa for actual evil. Um, very bad, maybe. <laughs> and kusala for good or skillful things. And upasampada is um, the word that's actually used for higher ordination for monks and nuns. But here it just means to acquire something or gain something, to obtain uh, and to, to, to take something up, like pick up the cultivation, uh, the acquiring of good qualities. Sachita is one's own mind. And so chitta is a word many of you have heard, I'm sure. Sachita is really one, one's own mind. And then, of course, pariyodhana purification. Tongue is just this is this. Udana is um, the Buddha, but it's all the Buddhas. And sasana here in the dictionary is teaching, order, doctrine. And the sasana is really not just the teaching. But it's, it's the whole body of teachings, and it's the community practicing it. So the Buddha's sasana is really the, the, the teaching of the Buddha, what he experienced, what he understood, what he communicated, and kind of all of us practicing. So there is a place in the suttas where it says that the, the sasana of a previous Buddha, Kasapa Buddha, was declining. 
and it just kind of means the whole thing is declining. So this is this is kind of part of why this particular verse has a depth of meaning. It's it's very sort of core to the Buddhist teaching, to the teaching of all the Buddhas. So of course, what we're going to focus on tonight is that first line: "Do not do any evil." And another way to think of that is to abandon what's unwholesome. Uh, one way we can look at this is that everybody, until we're fully enlightened, is dealing with some amount of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so this is the, the encouragement to abandon those, those roots or recover from them. You know, we could think of it as like having a, having a serious illness. Now we can recover uh, if we can um, start to identify what those unwholesome things are and turn away from them, abandon them, and not act upon them. We can also think about, you know, how, how we do this um, as we're doing it, interrupting unskillful conditioned habits or patterns. And on a very practical level, it's to resist speaking and acting from those roots. And here I'm including fear, because the Buddha does in some places. Greed, hatred, illusion, or fear. They're the things that when we're when we're acting from those um, states of mind, that's when we are falling into this unwholesome side of things. So, of course, I'm sure you know the five precepts, and this is the the sort of um, baseline of avoiding doing unwholesome things. To refrain from taking the life of any living creature, to refrain from taking that which is not given, to refrain from sexual misconduct, to refrain from harmful speech, to refrain from consuming alcohol and drugs that lead to carelessness. Okay, so any anybody have any questions or comments so far? So just a question I've had about the fifth precept for a while is like, I was worried about like um, refraining from consuming, et cetera, which lead to, which lead to carelessness. So it feels like it can be interpreted like in different ways. Like there's like the one school that's like fully abstained from all intoxicants, or is it just intoxicants which lead to heedlessness, which I would read as like a threshold. Yeah, and it it gets tricky because where's the threshold? Um, and actually, one of the beautiful things about the way the Buddha stated these precepts is that it's really clear when we're keeping them or not. So before I answer your question, uh, you know, sometimes people will want to rewrite them kind of in the positive sense, like um, being harmless 
or something like that. But then you don't know at the end of the day if you've actually kept the precept or not, because how harmless should you be, right? So you know if you've intentionally killed somebody or something. You know if you've intentionally taken, and intention is a lot to do with it. You know if you've intentionally taken something that's not really meant for you, etc. Then that last one, yes, it can get a little bit unclear, but it gets clearer as we practice with it. So what the Buddha meant was um, avoiding intoxicating drink and drugs, uh, really the precepts says alcohol, either hard liquor or wine. Both of those are in the, in the actual Pali. And the, I think that the translator of this, these are the precepts, the way we um, chant them or read them in English from our tradition. They include drugs just because it has the same effect. It's, it's when there's an effect on the mind that reduces our mindfulness our clarity. And so it is true that some people will say, well, then it, it's okay to have a glass of wine with dinner because my clarity isn't affected by that. But when you start to practice more deeply, you start to realize actually it, it does have an effect and it has an effect energetically too, in my experience. So what I tell people is if you want to, have a little alcohol, like someone recently said, I, I want to have champagne with my family, dear. The family was going to get together and celebrate something. And I said, okay, so really pay attention to how it feels. This is the way to, these precepts aren't, they're not commandments. They're not like, you know, it's really for training. It's also to, to, to protect us, to help us. And so if there's something there, particularly in that last one, which is different from the other four, because it's not actually immoral to drink alcohol or it's, it's immoral to, you know, oppress someone sexually. It's immoral to steal, kill, but, you know, there's, there's a high likelihood that, their harm can come from intoxicating drink or drugs, but it's not necessarily going to be the case. So being careful to see what it does to the mind and holding the purity of the mind higher than whatever kind of benefit, pleasure you might get from indulging in these things. This is what I would recommend. Thank you. Welcome. Then the Buddha also expands the five into ten um, wholesome and unwholesome things. And this he talks about in literally hundreds of suttas. And the first four are the first four precepts. But then, of course, he breaks the... He breaks the precept uh, or expands on the precept on speech, which is to not lie, to include divisive speech, harsh speech, and frivolous speech, gossip, talking nonsense, 
And those, uh, many of you will recognize, are part of the definition of right speech in the, in the Noble full Path. So he held this is incredibly important. And then covetousness or longing, it's a kind of desire, ill will, and wrong view. So there are four bodily, you know, three bodily actions, killing living beings, stealing, sexual misconduct, four actions in speech, lying, divisive speech, harsh speech, and talking nonsense. And then three um, sort of mental um, components here, the longing, ill will, and wrong view. And basically, you know, these are the top 10. Top 10 wholesome or top 10 avoiding. Avoiding them is the top 10 wholesome. Engaging in these or dealing with these um, and being affected by these is the top 10 unwholesome. Any questions? Yes, Terry. Yes, can you please expand upon wrong view? Oh, yes, that is a really big topic. Um, and there are so many aspects to it that, you know, it could take up a lot. But basically, having a, a, an understanding of Dhamma of the way things are to the to a, a degree. Ultimately, we don't have complete right view, complete understanding until we're arahants, but the the places where we make huge errors and wrong view are to think it doesn't matter if I do things that hurt people or hurt myself. I it doesn't matter if I do good things or not. Um, you know, having views that are really off, um, the Buddha would include in this in kind of mundane wrong view, uh, thinking that there's a self and there's a self that continues eternally, or there's a self that gets annihilated, or to think that there's no rebirth, for example. It's another wrong view. So these are some things, but the, the, the sort of more, um, you know, super mundane or where right view gets clearer is when we fully understand the Four Noble Truths. So, un, you know, until that time, if we're caught up in, you know, craving sensual pleasures and we think that that's the, the right thing to go after in life. It's part of wrong view. Would you add anything to that, sister? I've got my my Bikuni sister here. The four noble truths, yeah. Oh, that's is that's a very good point. You can look at what's called the whippalasa, um, the ways in which we think something um, is beautiful that's actually ugly or the other way around the way in which we think something is um, uh, 
pleasant when actually it's painful, the ways in which we think something's suffering when actually it's, or we think it's happiness, it's actually suffering. Um, and the ways in which we think something is self when it's actually not self. Those four are some strong areas of delusion. And it can be related to right view and wrong view. Lena? Thank you, Venerable. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is uh, without kind of uh, dragging it too far, uh, um, I should think that maybe um, it's the intention which matters because otherwise we tend to be kind of very preoccupied by, uh, you know, uh, kind of assessing everything as to what we're doing is actually fitting the category. And that actually, I thought, leads to more papancha and more false view. So the intention. So I always thought your intention is kind and compassionate and right. That's fine. So what is the role of uh, white lies and roles, role of exaggeration? Sometimes what happens is when you talk. I lost you there, but I think I get the point. So when we talk about virtue, this is all in in the realm of virtue. Anyways, because yeah, oh, because now you're back. That's not important. Sorry, did I'm you miss sorry. that? I yeah, I did. There was a bunch. There were, you dropped out there for a little while, but you were okay. talking about white lies and exaggeration. Right. So I'm just saying uh, with the exaggeration, sometimes, you know, like you talk and you exaggerate without even you knowing it. Mm -hmm. And by the time it's over, um, you know, and it's, oh, Lord, I exaggerated. That's not 100 percent true. But, you know, you try to explain it to a stranger. It doesn't really make sense because it's such a kind of, you know, not it's a very little thing as it just doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter anyways. And, you know, explaining that to a stranger, he or she is not interested in listening to it. But then I realized, oh, Lord, that wasn't exactly true. I exaggerated. I haven't really broken my shoulder. It was just a muscle tear. Uh, and then she started asking me, did you break a bone? I said, no, uh, I didn't. Uh, I don't know. So that gets, uh, you know, so it was the, without getting dragged too much into it, how do right. we avoid uh, white lies and, and exaggeration? And so does the- it really count towards the bad karma? One was that. So, so of course, there's varying degrees of result from all of these different things, depending on the severity, depending on, I mean, if you kill, for example, um, a spider, it's not good. But if you kill a human being intentionally, it's much worse. And we can tell this from how bad it feels, how much effort it would take and all kinds of things that go into the difference, right? So sometimes when we're speaking, we might say something that's inaccurate. If we're intending to deceive someone, that's worse than if it just kind of like we're not being careful. But as we develop the mind, we start to pay more attention. You know, our our um, feeling of it um, is is something that can really give us a sense of whether this matters or not. And the more we practice and we practice meditation and all the other aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path, 
the more we recognize, you know, I don't want to be sort of loose and um, kind of frivolous with my speech. That's not quite the right word. I, I want to be mindful. But I, I hear what you're saying about there's no point in explaining it to someone else a lot of times, but it's, it's what we know for ourselves, you know, that if I'm exaggerating, I can look at, well, why? Why do I want to make this into more than it is? It helps me understand better about my own mind and what I might be afraid of or clinging to or trying to cover up or, or change. And um, something I'm going to recommend as we go further is that it's really helpful to stop um, ourselves, uh, even in mid-sentence, if we feel like, no, that's not quite right. And then we rephrase it to be as accurate as we can, not not in an um, obsessive way. But this should all bring us more relief. And and stability and groundedness and confidence, because what comes from this is a kind of confidence and a, and a fearlessness so that we we're really living a blameless life. And this blamelessness is is something that we can enjoy to feel feel happy about in ourselves and in our life. Thanks for that, Aya. Uh, could I just uh, follow that up with a second question, please? Yes, Lena. Um, the second question is in regards to a bigger good. Um, um, suppose you have to tell a lie to save somebody's life or you have to kill rats because there's a plague and hundreds of millions of people are being killed. Mm -hmm. And again, intention is good here because you're trying to save lives. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so what is your take on that? Well, a lot can be done by by tr by putting our effort into a, a, a solution that isn't lying or killing, and it's it's um, it's always kind of people we come up with these extreme examples of you know how often is anyone actually. Does anyone find themselves in a situation where lying is going to save somebody's life? That's not usually what's going on. So learning how to practice speaking the truth will also help us, even in extreme situations, be more creative around how to be truthful without being harmful. Most of the time, truthfulness and harmlessness go together. And it's kind of, we have to go pretty far to think of ways in which it doesn't, especially if we're really able to let go of our own desires. So we just had a situation here where we're being gifted with a statue for outdoors. It's a rather large 400 pound statue. And we're trying to come up with a way of, of, um, you know, having it on a, on a table or some kind of, you know, platform or something like that outside. And we have this huge stump that's beautiful. It's old growth redwood um, that we thought maybe we could just use this as this very natural, beautiful um, 
stand for for this statue. And then we discovered there's a yellow jacket nest at the bottom of it. And we would have to get rid of the yellow jackets in order to do this. And there's there's no real way, we've talked to different people, there's no real way to do it without killing them. So our our response is okay, we've got to come up with a different solution. We're not gonna we're not gonna kill them and we're not gonna use that idea. Okay. Any other comments or questions? These are all really important issues to investigate. And everybody has different areas that kind of become more prominent in our own life and our own conditioning. So it's it's very useful to investigate these further and see how it feels, especially as we um, become more sensitive to the purity of the mind. So there's this little sutta in the numerical discourses, the Anguttara Nikaya, where the Buddha is giving us some encouragement. Mendicants, so this is the monks and nuns, but it's also for all of us practitioners. Give up the unskillful. It is possible to give up the unskillful. If it wasn't possible, I wouldn't say give up the unskillful, but it is possible. So I say that. And if giving up the unskillful led to harm and suffering, I would not say give up the unskillful. But giving up the unskillful leads to welfare and happiness. So I say give up the unskillful. Ah, yes, I can talk about We've got a few comments coming up. We definitely need to use wisdom and compassion. In fact, there's a monk that we visit in Thailand named Ajahn Gunha. He's amazing. And he often says, wisdom solves the problem. Wisdom and compassion have to go together. What about uh, using pesticides in pandemics? Again, there are some difficult situations sometimes that need to be evaluated, and it depends sometimes on where you're at with things. We want to have purity of the mind, which we'll talk about more in the in the coming months. Talking nonsense or frivolously this is something um, that's very important to look at I mean I used to think how did that get into the top 10 on wholesome things you know but there's a sutta in I think it's in the Sangyuta Nikaya the linked discourses. And there's an actor who comes to the Buddha. He's the head of an acting troupe. And he, he says, uh, I've heard from the actors that they've of old, that if you are on stage and you're entertaining people with, I think he says, uh, 
truth and lies or something like that. Basically, you're, you know, um, acting. And, and he said, you're making them laugh. And when you, if you die doing that, then you'll go to the heaven of the laughing Davis. Is that true? And the Buddha says, don't ask me that question. I don't want to answer that question. And he keeps pressuring the Buddha, you know, the second time and then the third time. And the Buddha says, well, I'm not getting through to you, obviously, about this. But since you won't let it alone, I'm going to tell you, no, you don't go to the heaven of the laughing Davis. You go to the hell of laughter. And it's because... When people have greed, hatred, and delusion in their minds, you're stirring up more greed, hatred, and delusion. And it's very, very serious to do that. And so the the actor breaks out in tears. The Buddha said, look, I said I didn't want to tell you this. <laughs> and he said, I'm not, I'm not upset because you told me. I'm upset because of being deceived by the the actors of old and well that that um that actor becomes a monk later he writes one of the most kind of fun i think fun poems in the Taragata that that there is anyway he definitely got it and uh and so what is frivolous speech it's it's speech that's going to bring up more greed or more hatred or more delusion. And of course we do that a lot and we listen to a lot of it. And it, it doesn't mean that we turn away from the world entirely because it's good to know what's going on. But when it gets to a point where the conversation is just stirring up defilements and perpetuating wrong view or delusion, then it's good to stop and try to find something that's valuable to say. And maybe that comes from a place of real kindness and compassion and wisdom. Um, there's a question about pornography being a violation of the third precept, and I would say it is. Um, the fifth precept is about intoxicants like alcohol. Um, it's not about coffee or other kinds of things that are intoxicating, but those other kinds of things that are intoxicating also need to be considered. Again, are we, are we developing more greed, hatred, or delusion? Are we kicking up more lust, more um, intention? I have seen the progression in some people from pornography to inappropriate um, behavior, especially with children. And it, it does have an effect on the mind. So one has to be very careful. And really, the practice is about understanding our own mind and working with feeling. So if we want a certain kind of feeling, why? What kind of gratification are we really getting from that? What are we running away from? 
in our own mind, in our own experience. So these are the things we need to look at. Are we caught up in the sensual experience of life or not? And the Buddha will tell you that's a, a real problem. So these are important to really look at. Thank you, Michael, for your comment, too. Okay, so now questions and reflections. And this is where I'm going to invite you to break into small groups for a bit. Well, you had um, a productive time there, and whether you were meditating or you were with talking with people. So any questions now at this point or sharing that you'd like to do based on what you've been reflecting on? Um, I was with Marilyn and Johnny and they, they were, and I'm new to like Buddhist practices and meditation. And so they clarified this for me because I was confused about where the five precepts fell and the four noble truths and the eightfold path. And Mm. if you could clarify that, because when I was reading the Dhammapada, I thought that that passage 183 was the five precepts. But then when you started talking about not killing, not stealing, uh, sexual misconduct, I'm like, oh, that's in the other reading of the near and far shore. So I was just, I was just, if you could clarify, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So um, the Buddha talked about these things in many different ways in different places uh, as they appear in the suttas. And the five precepts in the, in the Noble Eightfold Path, you see them as right action. You'll see not um you know right um right action is basically the first three precepts not killing not stealing not engaging in sexual misconduct right speech is the is actually it's not lying which is in the in the five precepts but it's also those other three aspects of speech that we see in the 10 list of 10 unwholesome things and then there's also right livelihood in the Noble Eightfold Path. So all of those comprise virtue. But the five precepts are really listed as a basic kind of set of standards that appears in various places. And like I said, a lot of times you just see the first four and you don't see the last one somewhere. But they're, but they're um, considered really the baseline of decent human behavior and they're a protection from um, really causing a lot of trouble in our life so i hope that answers your question there's not an exact like match everywhere so you see the buddha talking about this in different ways it's connected in different ways to different structures that he provides for us to to um, help understand, to help us understand the Dhamma. 
So um, we've talked about the five precepts and about frivolous or nonsensical speech. I think it's really useful to look at what kinds of influences cause you to move in the direction of what's unskillful and also to really reflect on the things that have changed in your life in a good way. The Buddha really emphasizes reflecting back on what we're doing. Like at the end of the day, reflecting back, I didn't intentionally kill any living beings. I didn't intentionally take anything that wasn't given, etc. And really encourage ourselves um, with all of the things that we do that are good and all of the ways in which we avoid unskillful behavior. So this is your homework um, for the month. Um, And the first one, bringing mindfulness to how it feels. I'll just tell you a quick story. Um, A monk that I know was living in a Chinese monastery any of you who, who know me, who come to my teachings, you might have heard me tell this story before. But it's um, he's an American, and he was living and training in a Chinese monastery. And he really is in America, but he really had a longing, had come up, had started having a real craving for blueberry pie. Uh, nice Midwestern boy wanted some blueberry pie, probably tired of Chinese food. And um, and then one day someone gave him a blueberry pie. And as some of you may know, uh, we're not allowed to eat after midday. And they gave it to him after midday. He really wanted it. So he thought, where can I go where no one will see me so I can eat the blueberry pie? And he thinks, I'll, I know, I'll go up on the roof because there's a flat roof and nobody will be up there and I could eat the pie by myself and no one will know. So he takes his pie and he goes up to the roof. And the the grandmaster, the, the abbot, the master of the monastery is walking back and forth, walking meditation up there. And so he quickly puts the pie behind his back and he goes behind the master and starts walking behind him. And then at one point, the master turns around and says, how does it feel? And this is a good thing to consider. Like when whatever we're doing, how does it feel? This is a very, a very good way to help ourselves. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, we can, when we catch ourselves in a pattern that's unskillful or maybe speaking in a way that isn't really the way we want to be speaking, we can stop ourselves and backtrack and do it over. And I I call it the dressage method because this is what I've seen when people are... um, jumping horses on a course and the horse balks at the jump. Well, instead of just walking off the field because they've already lost the the race, they come around and jump 
the jump and finish the course, take the, all the jumps leisurely. But it's like, I started doing that with myself. Okay. If I stop in the middle, back up, redo it, say what I want to say over again, or even if it's after the fact, go through it mentally, look back. Okay. I want to do that differently next time. Really follow it through in my mind and do it differently and train my mind in a new pattern. And when we're looking at our virtue and we're trying to improve it, it's very easy to become hard on ourselves. So we want to really use Ajahn Brahm's AFL method, acknowledge, forgive, and learn. Um, It's true for ourselves and it's true when we're engaging with others, whatever happens We acknowledge it. It's not like we cover it up or shove it under the rug, forgive and go on and learn from it. This is the important thing. This is about progress and practice a lot of kindness and compassion for yourself and for others. That's your assignment. (laughs) Yeah. And if you have questions, you can write to me to, um, at info at karunabv.org. And if you can always check out that, um, that email address on our website for Karuna Buddhist Vihara. All right, everyone. Time to say good night. I hope you rest well, and I hope you have a beautiful month of practice. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you, Aya. Good night.